But to be very honest, I didn't really know like why I want to get into IB at that time. And when I look back many, like now, I started um, like in 2018, I started to mentor um, some of the students um, here because many of them were like the young me who wanted to get, in, get a job, but didn't really know what to do. So every time when I mentored them, the first time, the first question I, they, they all come to me and said, oh, I really want to go into investment banking. Can you help me out? We would, I was like, yeah, of course. But the first question when we met is, can you tell me like really what you want to get into IB? Many of them don't actually know. And some of them don't even know what an IB actually does. Hey guys, my name is Akshita. I'm a data analyst and a travel enthusiast. I'm Anand. I'm a finance bro and a tech geek. And you're listening to The Why Coordinate, the weekly podcast where we discuss the why behind human society and behavior. Lessons from pop culture and our own experiences to lead a more intentional, efficient and happy life. Hi, Akshita. How are you? Hi, Anand. I'm doing good. How are you? How's your week? Weekend? Week, week weekend, 24 hours. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's been good today. Uh, so yesterday I slept at like 5 a.m. and then I had a call at 8.30 a.m. So I had to wake up in like three and a half hours. So I'm fairly sleep deprived. But no, no. we will get no, um, we will get no, what is the word? Um, sympathy from our guest today and um, let's talk about more about who our guest is so today we're joined by Yvonne Yang from London uh, and actually she's lived in a lot of countries uh, Yan, uh, Yvonne welcome to the Y coordinate uh, thank you for joining us today could you please go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners of course of course good to um, good to have you both here um, I'm Yvonne um, and I was born in China and then I moved here to London when I was 15. But in between, um, because of my education, I actually studied in London, in Singapore, in Belgium as well. And I also did volunteering um, for, for quite a long time in Thailand. So I lived in a countryside in Thailand for a while as well. So growing up in um, like people like to talk about diversity a lot, especially that's a, that's a very hot topic recently. And I'm, I feel like that's especially an important thing for me, like growing up in different places. I am Chinese, I look Asian, but when you are living in, like in the Western world, when you grow up, like they are more or less very different voices um, that I experience. So that's especially important for me. Interesting. Uh, so, uh... You mentioned that you are Chinese, you look Asian. So is is your experience of being Asian, but from a different country and say living in Thailand or Singapore uh, been different than your experience of being from a different country and living in the UK or Belgium? I think so. I, I, I really think so. Because I give you, I give you um, a small story. It's like people talk about culture shock a lot. Well, I get that too when I was in Thailand and Singapore, it's no difference. It's like Chinese, uh, it's a huge um, Chinese-oriented society. So it's diff- it's no different. In Thailand, I also got culture shock for example, like when I first got there, um, I was in a countryside, in a countryside school. They don't use like 
uh, like how they do showering and how they like use the toilet are very different from what people like use it. Like they don't, they use, they to prefer to use the water to mm -hmm. instead of the toilet paper because if that's yeah. cleaner, but that's yeah. something like it's a cultural shock for me. For this kind of cultural shock, no matter where you go, you get it. But then yeah. you don't feel like you are, people like are welcoming you a lot. But for mm -hmm. example, when I moved here um, in the UK, London is already like a place where like so many other, you see like people from all around the world. But still, when I went to, I went to boarding school and I'm, I think I am the, I don't, there's not a lot of Asian kids in the school. So when you go there, you still think, oh, okay, I look like a outsider than most of my friends, even though they're nice. But still, when you walk on the street, it's not a culture shock. It's like people, they will be like random people shouting at you as like, go back to your country. I've experienced that kind of things, like just walking on the street randomly. And that's something you wouldn't experience like when you're in Thailand or like in Asia, because we look similar. But here, you, you you are very obviously like you are not like one of them. Um, yeah. So I, I had that. So like, especially now, like Asian hates, that's even worse in the States. Like when my, my parents were in the States mm -hmm. and they decided to move back. It's it's even worse there. Um, yeah, I yeah. know. It's like, um, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like that bad. I think after, you know, after Trump, after all the Asian actively hates, it's it's not a nice place. Um, like UK is okay, but like US. And, and do you think say. it it increased after the like the pandemic started? Because I was in the UK the whole of last year, and I remember March onwards, uh, before like the actual lockdown and all of that happened. But because all this news of you know it being in Wuhan, everything happened. I'd started seeing people that if you were like in a in a tube and there was like a couple of Asian kids uh, and Asians as a culture have always always worn masks. Uh, whenever like I have Chinese friends who would wear a mask when they when they catch a cold, so they would already wearing masks. So it's it's so people would kind of distance start distancing themselves and uh, and I was hearing stories. I didn't see anyone actively like uh, shouting slurs and things like that. Otherwise, I would have done something about it. But do you think that that amount increased like last year onwards? Um, well, I, I'm not sure whether the amount increased or not, but definitely there are more news around. Mm -hmm. Like when you when you open media, there are a lot more um, like articles and like accident like for Asian people. Like I think I'm I from I'm from UCL, so I I, I did I study there. I'm mm -hmm. one of the UCL kid. Um, I think he was just walking on the street. Mm. um i can't remember whether he was wearing mask or not and he got he got beaten really badly mm. on the street randomly mm. um and this kind of things like i would not i couldn't believe it's like things like this still happening it's like crazy mm. but hey <laughs> yeah it's uh yeah it's quite sad yeah it's not it's not a it's not a nice um well brexit actually d disappointed me as well um like I couldn't, I, I, like, I think I graduated that year. I was just about to enter my work and Brexit happened. And I even questioned, should I actually stay in the country continuously? Like it, like how I can't believe it. Like this is the country that decides to like almost like exit globalization to me. It feels like. It is, it is exactly that. It's like, it is so stupid. <laughs> 
you know, the, the last year I worked on three different projects and all three of them are multi-billion dollar financial services firms shifting their European headquarters from London to Belgium, London to Paris, London to Amsterdam. And like, so you're basically losing out on so much of uh, business. I, I, I don't know what the rationale behind uh, Brexit was. And e- e- even, and you know, talking to people who are in positions where they understand the implications of something like this, they're like, we didn't vote for this, but obviously someone did. And it's... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I remember like when I, um, when I was at high school, like I did economics as one of the subjects and the, the lecturer used to tell us like, like British people, they want to leave EU for a long time. So like the Brexit happening 2016, was it? Wasn't the first time that they're trying to exit the European Union. They tried multiple times, but just this time it, it happened. And then people are, well, people in my mind are a little bit short-sighted who voted yeah. for to exit. Well, yeah. uh, you, uh, you can't, uh, I feel like, I think we've gone completely off tangent from what our topic is today, but uh, never mind. Yeah. I feel like this sort of anti-globalization seems to be the theme across most, like the US also has now started becoming, especially it, it was even more so with the Trump administration and mellowed down a little bit with the Biden administration reversing some of their actions. But like this seems to be a theme where, you know, it's first it was all countries getting together and, you know, dancing around in Kumbaya in the last 10, 15, 20 years. Now it's like every country for themselves and everybody's kind of becoming selfish again. And then, uh, you know, <laughs> then, then there are questions about immigration uh, and this and that, like everywhere. So it's kind of going anti-globalization is what I also feel. I don't know at what point of time this is going to blow up and then start reversing. But yeah, that that's kind of what I see it as. Yeah. And that's something I really, I feel really disappointed and pity about because like, like, like us, for example, we grew up um, and live in many different countries. It's, a hard, it's very hard to justify like where exactly you are from because for example you are in you are from it was you were born in india but i don't know how many years you've been living there like i was born in china but i haven't actually lived in china for a long time i love my country of course but then they are anti-globalization is going to cut is going to impact like like individuals like us our daily life a lot like what about like sense of belongings you don't have that anymore um like you don't have the freedom to move around anymore to just to just to you know I want to try this place for a little bit I want to try that place a little bit you lose all of that plus all the economy downside downturns the cost of goods you know like all of that I feel like it's I'm 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 very strongly like against deglobalization. I feel like there are so many topics I want to talk to you about and then, uh, yeah this this idea of like you know the sense of once you've started living abroad and like you've left home. Uh, you have this sort of skewed sense of identity and almost, I, I don't know, I call it the curse of the expat where <laughs> once you leave your home country, you stop identifying 100% with any country. So like now that I'm in India, there are parts of me which cannot identify with people here. But obviously when I'm living in the US or the UK and now Canada, there are parts of me which will not identify with people there. So it's kind of like this perennial feeling of not belonging where you are. Um, mm. And globali- deglobalization will further accentuate that feeling. Uh, and like, for example, even right now, 
um, it's almost impossible now to talk to people in mainland China sitting here in India because um, all the Western messaging apps were banned in China and now the Chinese messaging apps are banned in India. So now the only way to reach uh, out to my friends is send them an email <laughs> or use a VPN. So uh, it's just making it harder. If that, that becomes a trend, then it's going to be quite catastrophic. Can you guys still use TikTok or not even that? No, that's, that, that was one of the first ones to go. <laughs> uh, in fact, oh. I feel like WeChat and all of these others were sort of collateral damage with TikTok. TikTok was the big one that they wanted to ban. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. I watched it. There's a YouTuber. So like he's, a, he's an Indian but lives in the U.S., So mm-hmm. like I was watching one of the videos that he made, he interviewed mm-hmm. after, because I, I don't know what exactly software that they banned, the Indian mm-hmm. government banned, but the mm-hmm. guy literally, he, he went around New York and he interviewed like different people um, mm-hmm. in, the, in the Indian region of, um, in the New York, they, they just, he went on the street and interviewed people. What's mm-hmm. their opinion about having the software banned? Actually, mm-hmm. there are quite a lot of people supporting the idea of banning different Uh, apps so so uh, even the thing in india is that there's this really strong anti china sentiment going on right now especially mm-hmm. since last year and people don't so it's like it's like the same kind of people who voted for brexit so they don't get into the depths of things they don't get into you know what is going to be the impact of this and you have these politicians who just kind of get roaring support saying that oh the the chinese are our enemies and then Uh, come up with all sorts of stories and then people just blindly follow it. And, you know, it is funny because in China, it's the same. In in China, um, uh, some of my Chinese friends send me articles written in Mandarin uh, about the Indian government politics and they're talking absolute, like, nonsense and saying all sorts oh. of things to kind of antagonize India in the eyes of, like, the common Chinese man. So it's like <laughs> the, the, the press and the media really, really manipulates because There is no objective truth, right? People in India are only going to read the media that the Indian politicians feed us. And people in China, even more so, are going to only consume what the Chinese press feeds them. So there's no objective truth. And that's why they're able to get away with kind of stuff like mm. this. Um, and again, that is why globalization is important because people like us who kind of on both sides can kind of come in and say, no, this is not objectively the truth. And, you know, I'm able to see the other side. And okay. <laughs> let's, let's uh, dive into the topic, which is, Um, which is an interesting one, which is that why do people, especially fresh grads, uh, get attracted to investment banking? And Ivan, having spent, how many years have you spent at uh, IB now? Five years. Five years, in, is, five years at JP. Is the, is the best person to talk about it. So, <clears throat> so before we begin, uh, can you explain what exactly entails in investment banking for people who of course don't come from a finance um, background and yeah of course <laughs> this is gonna be like a complete information for me because i have not come from a finance background i have no idea what investment banking is and i'm one of the few who is not attracted to it so this is gonna be interesting for me <laughs> this is like a, i'm a spectator in this conversation today <laughs> of course of course I'll, i'll i'll start from the beginning so like um investment banking like if you are you know nothing about um financial service industry investment banking can be a little bit distant from individual customers like um in banks there are normally like different type of types of bank for example we have retail banks or you can call that like commercial banks that's the bank that you use daily for example like your hsbc your barclays 
you bank of in India, like that kind of like that that kind of things. Your day to day. So that's the retail bank. Hori like that like horizontally, like a part in parallel. Um, the big banks also have other type of services. For example, like wealth management or asset management. And for that is um, for different. Sometimes a school like can have a lot of money. But they don't know how to use those money, so they would put the money to an asset management company, and they would do it for them. So that's asset management. And then the third one is you have investment banking. That is, um, mo- for most of the time, is not the services is not offered to individual customer, but instead is is offered to like big companies. Um, so it's more like a corporate service. And inside investment banking, they do many different things. For example, they would do um, like merger acquisition. Like if one company wants to buy another, they hire a lot of the IB people to do the valuation for them. If I want to sell the company, how much do you think I want? I can sell it for? How much do you think my company is worth? Um, they also do IPO, so initial pop, initial public offering. So that's when I'm. I, I want to go into the like the trading market. I want my market. Um, I want to be like a stock trading um, publicly. So you need a IB to do that for you. And of course, a lot of lawyers are involved as well. And um, they also do other stuff, for example, like corporate banking. If your bank, if your company are in the need for some more money, so I need some cash, but I don't know what to do. There are many, many ways to raise cash. You can do loan. Uh, you can you can do a corporate bond. So like like the investment banker are um, are there to help you, depending on evaluate your situation, and then we would advise you what's the best way to for you to raise money. Um, something like that. That's like the basic. That's the very basic service that we provide. And within investment banking, there are many many different functions in order to deliver that um, service end to end. Yeah, that's like a nutshell. IB. Wow, that was that was like gave a nice structured view, but it's also so overwhelming because I was hearing terms for the first time. But that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I uh, I joined it to be very honest. Like when I joined, um, when I started my internship, I didn't really know what IB was. Like I knew very little about what they actually do. But then all of my friends were applying. All the schools. Are telling you to apply for um, like those banks, uh, like accounting firms. So like I just went. So um, it's it's overwhelming for it was overwhelming for me even though I did finance at school. Um. So I in your introduction, I don't think. Uh, so are you looking to move out of? Are you one of the people who are looking to move out of this sector, or are you like the sector for one? I want to move out. They are. Um, in like I think I learned a lot like soft skill wise I learned a lot but then I I you, you kind of like restrict yourself in one very niche area in the whole world but it actually there's so many other things going on outside which is very interesting like all the technology space or even the fintech areas are like there's so many things going on I want to move out I want to see something more <laughs> and that's yeah so that I that's one of my reasons join Robin. Okay, okay. And then can you relate? I can relate 100% to Ivan on that. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's move on to the next questions and, you know, some of this will start uh, coming out. So um, you mentioned a little bit, but like, so 
what was your perception of so not talking about like what is the work itself but like what was your perception of investment banking before you started working in or like in your initial few days versus what it is now has that like how has that changed over the years? yeah of course um before i joined um that's like before i started my internship i didn't really know much about investment bank of course at school people will tell you about what investment bank would do like what kind of service that would provide but i have no idea what functions are there how functions are fun- how functions between functions how they coordinate with each other i have no idea about those um i did, like people have a lot of like um stereotype um for 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 investment banks like it's really hard working it's really aggressive people very long hours like all of that other like tags that i had for um ib but when i actually joined there you i real like i've realized it's some of them are true so for example people are really people there are no like very r- r- working extremely hard they wouldn't care like efficiency and outcome overweighs many many more other things like they want the outcome they want the efficiency so um sometimes that could means a long a working hour sometimes that could means um like you will need to pay extra effort in order to get what you need to get but your role like an an individual your role is so tiny that's that's my uh, that's my new perception about the job you feel like you're getting involved in something big but actually you are just like a the tiny tiny screw in the, like a giant machine what you what you felt um important for you did but actually it's not that important well it's not that impactful if you look bigger about what the whole thing um is is working on so it's you you learn a lot but it's difficult for um for unlike the small banks like the small companies you don't get the opportunity to get something um like all the all, from scratch like exactly you know what you need to do because you follow a lot of the rules that people are telling you and that is not something i wanted to continue for a long time it's uh it's interesting you mentioned that you want so my experience with investment banking has been with a boutique investment where it was much much smaller it was probably a fraction of the size of gpm and um, so a, to begin with even i i honestly till this date i don't know what are all the functions in an investment bank all the functions in um, like you know these finance firms and the finance world somehow seems to be coming up with new terminology every single day and like mm-hmm. finance people have this sort of snobbish outlook towards like like i remember when i started working uh, my first month in in new york so i i i went to school and then i started working in investment banking and mostly like mna capital restructuring so we didn't we didn't deal too much with like rates and you know to like the fifth six places of decimal so somehow i'd never uh, come across the terminology of bips which is like a fairly fairly common uh, phrase but that's more if you deal with like structured products and forex rates and all of that i i had not dealt with that i was like i was dealing with like just valuation and then i meet this girl who who was working at bamel at the time bank of america maryland and she worked in like forex products or something like that and she mentioned bips and i was like what is that and she made me feel as if i was some kind of imposter working there she's like are you seriously working in finance are you working in investment banking did you go to school in finance like she made me question my life <laughs> and um 
so 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 that is something i don't like about uh, the finance industry where they like you know bips is such a small like it literally took her would have taken her 15 seconds to explain to me what it is but she chose to you know, <laughs> make me go through this sort of existential crisis but on the other hand because my investment bank was very small i got to work on the deal size was much smaller than probably what you worked on but i got to work on the entire life cycle of a deal from origination all the way to execution drafting the term sheets valuation all of that uh which was which is which is fun and and i feel like it's kind of it's not it's not just that part is not just true for finance but it's like across any industry so uh before getting into finance i did an internship at dell in tech as a developer and there i felt so insignificant because i was working on a small part of a small part that will uh, you know get put in place and like nobody's really going to see the impact whereas here like the companies that i've the deals that i've worked on except for a few like like for example there's in fact there's a um, you know uh, savile row right where you have all these uh, old suit men suit uh, brands so there was one uh, which got acquired by a chinese private equity fund that was looking to expand into the american market so except for that no other brand or company that i would have worked of you would have heard of but my impact on all those companies is really big so you know to kind of reconcile between but i would still would have swapped my job to work in your job because especially in finance like this there's this whole cult where you know people worship the bulge bracket banks and um all of that so yeah that was yeah <laughs> I think many. I I think I made a good choice for getting trained here. Like joining JP after I graduated felt like felt like um going into another uni for another like I was in a graduate scheme. So for the first two years, I had the chance to rotate in many different functions in IB. So like I think I tried many many different areas. I tried um capital team. I tried um like trading. I tried internal strategy. I tried transformation. Some of them are related to directly with. That's the first two years, so that gave me a good, really good insight between like how functions work between. And it's a good training. Like it trained me up. Um, and I felt like if for many like fresh students, it's a good way to train you up. But then after you stay a little bit longer there, big. I think that's the drawback of big companies. Like you, you have less. flexibility and less um area for you to play in but um because they 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 want people to act in a certain way to make the machine running rather than you create another machine and just to do it so yeah that's such a beautiful analogy the entire machine and the screw one that was kind of put things in perspective for someone who's like an outsider who hasn't been in this industry or hasn't really known much about it oh that's that's nice uh you mentioned that you know you joined fresh after graduation like as a fresh graduate so and our topic being you know why do fresh graduates kind of rush into investment banking or what is the entire appeal of investment banking um were you assuming because you said that you didn't really know much about investment banking when you started were you also one of the few who just because of the glamour and because everyone was kind of uh not reaching out to this big industry and this big domain of ib were you also one of the few ones that kind of got pulled into it um, yeah i can i can talk from two aspects one is my own experience and the other is um 
like what I like when I look back, what I felt I could have done differently. Um, so I, I think back the time, um, like 2014, 2015, that's when I started my internship. The competition wasn't as strong as now. I, th- I feel like getting into IB now is like so hard. But at that time, it was hard. Like I went through like my driving, my driving force to get into IB was very blurry. I want to get a, a good job after I graduate. That's like a very simple goal of mine. So I didn't even, I didn't only try IB. I tried all sorts of different companies that I can, like I could find online. So I, I tried many, many of them. Of course, I think the, the benefit of doing a finance degree is, you know, the banks a little bit more than like other like random companies like brokerage or something. I, I knew very little about them. Um, so that gave me more insights and it took a lot of practice to, to get into. But to be very honest, I didn't really know like why I want to get into IB at that time. And when I look back many, like now, I started um, like in 2018, I started to mentor um, some of the students um, here because many of them were like the young me who wanted to get a, get a job, but didn't really know what to do. So every time when I mentored them, the first time, the first question I they, they all come to me and said, oh, I really want to go into investment banking. Can you help me out? We would, I was like, yeah, of course. But the first question when we met is, can you tell me like really why you want to get into IB? Many of them don't actually know. And some of them don't even know what an IB actually does. So like, I think that's a common concern for a lot of people. Like um, they want to choose the job because it sounds like a good job. It has good pay. Um, and it, all of my friends are going there. So that's the real inside. And that's, if I could do it again, I think I would um, do self-reflection a little bit more. Like some of them, especially for some of the mentors that I had, um, when I talked to them, I helped, I helped them to do some like quality um, justification, their interests. Some of them might not be actually good like good for for feed for IB. So I they, some of them might be better if they start with consulting, accountant. So it, sometimes the choices are just like, I'm following the flow. People choose, my, all of my friends are going, so I'm going. So I definitely think that's something, if I could choose again, I wouldn't, I, I, I would probably go with consultant for the first time rather than joining IB. Interesting. And uh, what are some answers? So when people ask um, this question about why IB, so either people don't know the answer or they come up with like the same, like uh, what are some cliche answers you've heard to that question? I think there are two versions of them. One is if I'm, when I interview people, like when I interview the grads officially, they would tell me tell something. Like that is the official answer that you would want people to know that you are interested in. And on the other side, when you are having chat with some of my mentors, they tell you their real feeling. That is like sometimes they don't, they, they, they don't really know. But um, so a good version of that, what I heard is about IB is um, he told me, so one of the guy told me he really loved handling mar- like money. Like when he saws the money, it's not just a number, but for some people, it's just the numbers on the paper, but for him, it's not. So he has a natural interest about money. When he was at the uni, I think he um, borrowed a loan, like get, he, he got a loan himself. 
and he's used the loan to just do the trading himself in the in the in the stock market. And he earned, I think he earned some money, um, like good returns on that. And that even motivates him even more to persuade like a career in the industry. I was like, that's a good story to tell. And I can see why you like it. But that's quite um unique and i didn't really see a lot of people can give that type of story like if you ask me why do i like ib i couldn't even tell you why because i don't like very that's very honest answer of me but if i do interview i probably will tell you another story yeah the the, the ones that i've heard the most is that oh it has a steep learning curve you work with such brilliant people it gives me an opportunity to learn and i'm like i'm not going to hire you because you want an opportunity to yeah. learn you should go join a university and, for that <laughs> yeah and that that like that that <clears throat> type of terms can yeah. almost apply to any type of job exactly exactly it's so it's so general that <laughs> okay yeah yeah i think even for like the business school applications um the one thing that uh, i saw everywhere when you're supposed to answer your career goal story or like what do you want to do going forward um it needs to be personalized right like you need to have an actual unique story of why you're int- intrinsically passionate about this particular one so i started off as the same generic uh, i want to learn i want to do this business school is going to give me um, diversity etc cetera, etc cetera. and then i realized it's not working out for me well mm-hmm. i need to you know like actually reflect as you said reflect and kind of understand what i have done in the past and why i have made the choices i have made and kind of put that as a story and show it so the story of, that you just mentioned about like someone university and kind of going through that personally and then that's why the passion lies that's a very cool story <laughs> and i did something very similar to that so i'm just like okay cool <laughs> i'm glad it worked yes cuz i um I, I something i regret a lot is i i don't think when i when i graduated from school i didn't really give myself any time to think about what i actually want to do and what i can do well and i've thought about it it was more like oh i got a job and it's good so i'm going for it if i had another chance to choose for example like when we finish our um mbas that's something i'm going to think like really deeply like you tried a few roles you tried a, like you tried an industry what is the things that you don't like i think i have quite a lot of things that i don't like i don't know what i will like but definitely i know things i i don't enjoy um like i don't enjoy very routine work so trading is definitely not for me i don't enjoy um something that i is too restricted like instruction followed so probably working in a giant company might not be good for me um so like if i had another chance for like as fresh grad i i think i'll i'll do something quite different okay so let's let's jump into the titular question for this episode which is so why why do you think what are like the reasons which uh and we touched upon this a little bit but like uh, the uh, the reasons why someone who does not have too much of an idea about what investment banking is kind of gets drawn into uh, it as a fresh grad yeah well especially in the uk one mm-hmm. of the reason that i think is is really the supply of well the demand of the job mm-hmm. like it's like they are inside of when 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 i like between my colleagues not only um people are from all different kind of backgrounds and they want to get into like investment bank because that's one of the biggest industry in the UK which is hiring like people offering jobs mm-hmm. like 
people doing geography, doing history, like all of them are applying for the same job. And it's not like, um, definitely, I'm not saying it's, it's a waste of resources for, for what, what they learned at school. It's going to be useful. But then um, the, because of the demand of the job, I think that's one of the reasons why all people from whatever major that you did school, you are, they are, they're chasing for. And second reason, I think the pay is actually, and I, I think it's going to be one of the main driver to, for, for a lot of the fresh grads. I think, um, I can't remember when it, how much exactly is the average in the UK. I think it's like 40 to 50K mm-hmm. um, a year. Um, like, I think that's an average or 30, I can't remember, um, to, to, for, for an average um, yearly salary. But when you enter IB, that's like the, you, you, you had no previous work experience, you get that pay, you get like 40 to 50, that's a starting, it's a, it's a really good starting salary for people um, who just entered the society. Um, so that's, I think, a big reason for it. And then the third one is, for people, a lot of people that I talk to, um, they felt like IB is a good jumping board. Um, they, but actually, I don't think it is. But people had that perception about, oh, if I join IB when I graduated initially, I can pretty much go to any other companies afterwards. They have that perception about um, getting trained there, getting the names, getting some frames um, um, around your CVs, have, um, joining IBs, so I can do whatever um, in, in the next. I think those are the three biggest driver for a lot of like fresh grass they want to rush into IB yeah I I I think you covered all the points I agree with you Uh, so this is exactly what I'd noticed while I was in the US Uh, and investment banking and consulting in my opinion are like the two jobs that literally anyone without irrespective of what you're like I had a friend who had war history as his undergrad major and then he joined Citibank so you can literally do anything and you'll be eligible for applying for these two jobs. There's no, like, for example, tech is another really, really popular industry for finding a job. And it kind of meets like your salary benchmarks as finance, at least in the early levels. But then you need to have studied that. You can't, you can't get a computer science job having studied what his, so that, that is definitely one of the key points, which gets a lot of, and then the pay obviously. And then I feel like, with finance, investment banking, and even more so with asset management later on, uh, the pay is, so like with consulting, you get some semblance of a bonus, but most of it is sort of like an hourly rate on your consultant hours that you charge. And that does come with like a definitive ceiling at some point of it. But with finance, because you get a percentage cut out of like whatever is like the amount of money that's you know changing hands or being worked on, there's like there's no limit so so that that ends up getting you lots and lots and lots of money and uh, in the I, I don't know how much it is in the uk but in the us um that point about you know lots of jobs being offered is actually not true because uh, there is at least a 10 is to 1 ratio if not even higher of people wanting to get into them versus the amount of jobs available so the the amount of jobs are actually very oh, very limited of course uh, <laughs> But there's sort of this almost mythic mythology fantasy around, you know, being an investment banker. And in the U.S., you have all this sort of fraternity culture where, you know, people mostly from like some frats get into like, you know, senior positions in these investment banks and these powerful positions. And then they continue hiring people from 
you know their own fraternities and that that sort of a thing and then the, this whole finance bro culture so that kind of is this engine that keeps running and keeps attracting more and more and more and more people so yeah i mean this is just a little bit more apart from like the reasons you mentioned which i think is yeah. valid globally yeah well i think uk is especially because if you think about what big industry does uk actually have it's a service they don't have like a, the country doesn't really have like really big of uh, natural resources of course but like so a lot of my friends who did engineering physics mathematics you think they can do a lot of like interesting stuff they all ended up in banks because um if you look at the employee um like types in the uk i think i read one of the reports for the from from for the whole uk financial service and like banking and finance is the biggest sec- sector of employee in the whole country so where else can you go like even you graduated as um engineers they're not they're not a lot of like factories or engineer companies that you can actually go to so they all went ended up in like um in our tech function in banks <laughs> um so yeah yeah and and i know it is uh... I I can talk I I can talk crap about the UK <laughs> for as long as you want me to talk this is one of the reasons why uh I did not want to stay back in the UK as well because mm. uh, it as a country does not have a lot of resources the big thing is and that has always been it's like this strategic location to give you access to the entire european market and and being an english speaking country so you have a branch in yeah. london and then you, and then they go ahead and exit like then then what is the point why will anyone come to london uh, yeah okay so let's uh, so you mentioned that now you want to like get into fintech so let's let's talk a little bit about that so what areas of fintech do you find interesting because i know there are some fintech companies in the uk as well my favorite uh, fintech or modern bank is based out of the uk um, but which one uh, do you like monzo monzo <laughs> it's i i i i wish that monzo had a branch in canada and i hope that they do so you can watch for jpm for that come again sorry you can watch for jpm for that cuz that's my last project getting monzo to not getting monzo but we are having a digital bank oh nice yeah uh, so like that was my last project so um it was a uh, internal incubating mm-hmm. um cuz in the us we have chase But Chase yeah. is like a traditional bank, and Good, in the yeah. UK, yeah. JP Morgan doesn't really have anything like retail right. bank. We don't have, right. Right. but we want to. We want to have a role in the whole fintech market in the digital bank. So that okay. that was my last project. That, we that were building. A, so you can watch for that. Long, but UK is going to be our first site mm-hmm. of the model. Once mm-hmm. the thing is, and it's going to be out very very soon. Um, okay. when I. when i quit um uh-huh. we're about to go into internal employee testing okay um like nice. jp morgan wise right. so when that model is out monzo is our competitor for sure yeah. Yeah. um and then um the model should be able to run across different countries. countries yeah yeah that is very exciting that's so when people talk about fintech uh, commercial like retail banking but like you know app focused and all of that is my favorite part and no country needs more digital focused banks than the uk i mean look at hsbc's tech infrastructure man they it's like it was built in the 80s and the the mobile app and the website is just a layer on top of it. you swipe a card today 
and you get a notification for it three days late. <laughs> uh, um. I agree. I agree. I definitely agree. And <clears throat> something um, like my um, when I moved to Canada, like I lived in Canada for a little for for like not very long, few months. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like the whole um, technology and financial service in te- Canada is really dragging behind. It's really like I can't believe it. Like I just wanted to open an account mm-hmm. i have to go to the branch for five times just to simply open my account i can't believe this because in the uk you basically download an app you open your account in 20 minutes but 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 that is only for uh, apps like monzo and sterling and n26 try doing that with hsbc <laughs> they do they do they do now you can do that now as well. So HSBC, you can open your account just online, just doing your, um, and they would post a card to you afterwards. You don't need to go to the branch. Well, I don't believe, I, I felt think you can. I did that. Okay. I tried. Uh, but I guess you had more legit, like you probably had like a student visa. Like what, what, at what point did you want to do that? Because I really struggled to open a bank account. Like I, I had to open a brick and mortar bank account, Monzo, with Monzo, you cannot receive international wire transfers. And when I just moved to the UK, I was living in a hotel for like the first three weeks. So I didn't have a brick and mortar address with like my name on it. And I went to HSBC. I went to basically all the high street banks, Lloyd, yeah. Halifax, etc. Yeah, all yeah, they them, wouldn't be. The, all of them kicked me out saying that, you know, you need. You need to have address, identity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, so, for sure. But Monzo was, so, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I was quite scarred by that and I was quite grateful to Monzo because I actually signed up for Monzo before moving to the UK and I, I had the card delivered to my manager's address and I was using that throughout. I hope you uh, like our service too. Like like our, like <laughs> when when we launched to the market, uh-huh. we hope to beat them. <laughs> so nice. so is, is Marcus by Goldman Sachs a competitor? Or that's I think that's just a... Savings account, right? Fixed deposit. I That's know. only saving account. They don't do anything else. Well, they are thinking to do. I think they are going to do something. Right. And so Goldman Sachs has Marcus as one of their retail offerings. And the only other thing I can think of is the Apple credit card, uh, which I think is backed by Goldman Sachs. Right? They Yes. But then um, actually in the UK market, there has been a lot of competitors like big banks. They mm-hmm. are starting to do like Monzo, like digital bank. They yeah. want to, especially because of the pandemic, the branch does not work, but the bank right. has to work. Right. So right. they are, they're, they're developing. So I think 2019, mm-hmm. um, I think November time, RBS, I think it's RBS, RBS or RBC, I can't remember. They did a bank, uh, they did a digital bank called Bo. Uh, so they launched it, but very mm-hmm. quickly it failed. I think <laughs> In February 2020, it felt because of I, I think that's because of but but that was because of some internal um internal structure things. Their CEO left the, the new digital bank, their mm. CEO left and it didn't work well, and then they closed it very quickly. Yeah, so yeah. I think the challenge with you know coming up with something like this is that you need a completely different set of skills, like the set of skills that make a brick and mortar bank like Halifax or HSBC successful because this is essentially a tech company. So, so you know what NatWest is doing is there's this company called the the Thought Machine or something like that. It's it's uh, founded by the guy who uh, used to work for Google. He he uh, and he's the one who created the 
text to speech that google uses so he's like really intelligent guy so he so what they're doing is they're sort of like a b2b software provider they're going to make a white label digital banking product and then you can just use it start using it so natwest has invested heavily in that and bank or bank b u n q i think that's a german uh, digital bank they also have a little bit of stake in it so so it's kind of like they're they're investing it on the side in ours once they develop it if it's nice then natwest might pilot it and then you know transition i guess they've learned from rbs's mistakes of you know trying to do it and then having it completely fail mm. i don't i don't think yeah. hsbc hsbc has any plans of doing it they're very happy with their <laughs> 1980s software <laughs> yeah it's i i i can't believe it i i well i'm using our hsbc purely because i that they like that's one of the banks that offer services all around the world and yeah. that's the only benefit for me to do that mm-hmm. but then uh, so many things they can only do in the branch but when the branch is open they just cut the service out <laughs> it's bizarre i felt so well i i don't i don't know whether i can do something um in retail like digital bank in canada maybe mm-hmm. not that but there are some like small initiatives which mm-hmm. i think um fintech can definitely help another good example um about fintech is um regulations So especially after the the crisis the financial crisis in 2008 the regulation around the whole world for financial service industry is like it's like dramatically increased there are so many like all everyone is wearing cups and they have mm. to dance mm. but it's actually very difficult to manage and i can i saw that um inside the banks many people many, the traders they don't not all of them knew the regulations inside out and it's not is not reasonable to ask one person to remember all of that and most of the big banks they struggle to do that um to manage that very well a lot of them is depending on individual people in compliance team to remember them but when that person is gone you have to find another human brain but i don't think that is the right solution for all of them um regulations are some of them of course is not black and white but the basic things i think machine learning can help a lot and that's something i want to look into and um, what is even more interesting is that you're the first person that i've met who's interested in regulations and compliance like i feel like i'm not <laughs> i'm not interested in i i'm i'm the least person who are interested in regulation <laughs> i don't like it that much mm-hmm. but it's causing me a headache when i was working ah, there. so i want to, I want to the, solve it yeah i want to solve it okay. i suffered it so much <laughs> i wanted some a, a good solution to help <clears throat> rather than i enjoyed it i don't enjoy it for sure <laughs> no no I, i agree with you so like uh, some of my clients in in london were insurance companies and in insurance you have like like you have your basel 3 uh, framework for banks you have uh shit i've stopped i quit my job and i've forgotten what the frame <laughs> regulatory framework is called anymore ifr is 17 uh so so that and you know that that's not it there's something else but basically like insurance companies have to meet a certain level of liquidity requirements uh because and especially if you're a bigger insurance company but if you can prove that you've diversified your risks you can reduce the number of the amount of liquidity you have to maintain and then you can kind of invest those assets and i've worked with five different insurance firms in the uk four of them applied 
and so you have to come up with your own fancy ass model of how you're uh, calculating your risk and i worked with four of them they came up with these really uh, again in these projects i was like you said a tiny tiny cog in but so they come up with these complex models and it got rejected by the regulator so then they have to meet whatever is like the de facto level which is extremely high and because of this they they're losing millions of dollars in in like interest or like returns every year and i feel like more sophisticated uh, tech more sophisticated data capture so there's this concept of data uh, i am blanking out today every term i'm not able to remember but basically the, this concept of like once a, once data is created till the point it you know is stored in some sort of like the archive every single moment of its life cycle needs to be captured so that from like a, a you know a retrieval standpoint and everything there's so these kind of things are definitely going to be super helpful and and not just making it easy but actually save <laughs> millions of yeah, dollars yeah and then exactly and then i i i i sense like the 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 focus like we get educated on education like uh, regulations so often when we are working and then well i'm not saying it's boring but it's it's something you have to know but you don't have to know it every single day i feel like it's it got to be something that can help you and sometimes when we are making certain like product design for example when i move to digital there are some risk i'm willing to take for example um one one very specific one small example is um when you open an account with any uk banks the immigration act um in the uk requires you to check the status of of whoever um is there and that's why for example when you went to hsbc they would say i'm sorry you can't open it because you don't like i don't recognize it but that's not what the law says that's what the hsbc decided to do what the law actually says is you need to check the status but there's a, the the uk government has a database where um well theoretically they have a database where you should check against people's status but that database is empty so even if i do the check i wouldn't i would not have any um outcomes so this kind of things i'm willing to take the risk because i'm doing as a product designer i'm designing my product to be to meet i still like emat the regulation cuz i i checked but the outcome is empty but i can't do anything for this kind of things i'm willing to take a risk but um who can tell me what would be the consequences if i take this risk in the bank what well, is only like all the compliance people with with knowledge in their mind but they can't actually tell me in the past does any bank got fined because of this they couldn't really tell me that after unless they spent a lot of time doing the research but for me i felt like if i have a tool which can help me to release this kind of um decision related question for regulation it will help the bank a lot when they're designing things when they are trying to improve things okay you have managed to <laughs> warm me up to the idea of looking into this because when you said compliance and regulation i was like okay i'm i'm about to switch off now because this has been the most uh, boring section of you know working in finance for me but like the, way, the what you're talking about in the use i agree with you it, is uh, is actually that is literally solving that problem of the fact that it is so boring nobody wants to deal with it so like if you have it, a machine learning algorithm that can just do yeah. the boring part yeah. yeah and then you know so i'm not i'm i'm not um i respect all the compliance colleagues that i work with i'm sure yeah. they have dealt with a lot of things but sometimes it's their words against their words 
and yeah. I don't have any choices but trust them. And sometimes, well, whatever they said, you have to follow. But sometimes I actually, I just, I, I, I feel like it's not that serious, but according to them, it is that serious. I would hope that I have more some factual things that can support, um, right? Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of like, so for example, right now, a lot of people are applying for their study permit in Canada. And, uh, you know, there are sort of gray areas where, you know, is this acceptable? Is this not acceptable? Can I, like, for example, when I was applying for my Canadian permanent residency application, uh, the, one of the requirements is that you can, uh, you have to get a letter from your employer, which is extremely detailed about your job description. And that, in, it, in effect, every HR department in the world knows if someone is asking for that letter, they're applying for a PR somewhere. And I did not want to communicate that to my employer two years before you know, I was planning to quit. Uh, so there are some workarounds to kind of doing that. But if you ask any immigration advisor about it, they will give you the easy answer, which is like, no, you have to follow the rules. Like, I mean, the, 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 one of the uses of, like, it's like, how can you be within the rule, but get the most out of it? Like, for example, Formula One racing is all about, like, they come up with these rules and then people find ways to make the best of, you know, skirting those rules while being legal. And that's what you want to do in business to kind of, you know, you're staying legal, but it's obviously easy to say that, you know, you go with the safer option and uh, as, as a compliance officer, but I feel like you're not doing a job if you say that even I can, yeah. like, you know. <laughs> um, I think we have different, like, I think we who do the business have yeah. different mindset than the compliance office. Because every time when I, um, when I ask them some, something, they would normally say, you cannot do this because of X, Y, Z. But I'm like, what if I do like ABC? Yeah. Like do alternatively. They, I think they think slightly differently. They, they, they rule is their Bible. Yeah. But for us, I think it's different. Rule is foundation. It's the minimum that we need. To, but we can do a lot more. It, it also depends on like, so our, our incentives, right? So our incentives is to deliver results. Their incentives is to just not get their ass on fire because if they let you do something and then there's legal blowback, then they yeah. will be in a problem. They'll be worse off. And if they just say that <coughs> no, you, can't you, you, you can't do it, yeah. then it's like the same position. So they have nothing to gain and all to lose. So they'll choose the option where they have all to lose. Whereas for us, we have something to gain and nothing to lose. So we want to take the risk. So it's kind of like... Uh, so until like the incentives of like the two people involved are kind of aligned where like the compliance people are rewarded if they are able to come up with some sort of fancy, you know, workaround. Like this is, this is something that lawyers do quite often where they come up with like a legal loophole and help you find that. Uh, then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if I can do something, but I, I, I would look forward to explore mm-hmm. when I do my study there in Canada, because yeah. I think the rules are different. So I need to start from scratch to see what's going on in Canadian market. But I guess it'll be interesting. Uh, yeah. Now I'm excited for your journey. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, so moving on. Um, I think 
that wraps up this discussion about investment banking. Um, Archita, is there anything you would like to ask? I know you, we've kind of bored you in the past. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry for that. It's I lost you all at FinTech. I, I was like, okay, I don't know what FinTech is. And then that thing just went downhill. And then I got you back when you said Formula One. And then I lost you again. So it's been a oh. journey for me. <laughs> sorry for that. No, no, I saw how excited both of you got. So that's very, very cute. <laughs> like I, I saw Anag's light, like eyes lit up when he's like oh wow I was not interested in this but now I am so that was a very fun conversation even though I did not understand a single bit of it it was fun to see both of you <laughs> uh, okay so should we move on to like the final segment which is uh, Ewan yep. do you have Let's... like a funny or insightful incident slash something that you've read in like the past week slash quarter slash month um uh... Last quarter. Well, you know, UK is in the lockdown, so I haven't been doing much um, apart from, but I started to learn Python recently. Um, some, especially after I moved to the digital bank inside JPM, I realized the importance of being able to understand a little bit coding. So mm-hmm. I've been doing Python um, online with Coursera. Um, so, well, I, 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 don't, I don't think I can be... Um, an engineer like computer science like engineer but i want to be able to talk to some of the developers and like using their language um properly understand what they're talking about i had um i tried to do something myself um a few years ago like a like a like a digital platform um one of the failure reason was because the miscommunication between the engineer who i hired off offshore um with my thoughts so that's something i'm working on to cope um to reduce the distance yeah something inside for for the yeah not much for the for, for this year i did something interesting before you can share that if you want I mean, um, this is an interesting event. yeah so it was um it was um so one story that i i i remember from my whole life is when i was living in thailand um, because it was a countryside, like every time before when I went to Thailand, it was like a tourist, like you felt it's a so nice, all the resort, it's so cozy. But when you live in the countryside, it's completely different. So the first house that I lived in in a countryside is on a tree um, and it's a local house and um, it's, it's, not a, it's not a big tree house. And Thai people normally sleep on the floor, but using like a like a um, like a like a phone thing. So I was I was sleeping on the floor um, um, in the treehouse. But very closely to the treehouse to the tree, there's a little pond like a water pond. So one day when I walked past that pond, I saw this like little crocodile look type of animals, and I got really really scared because. Um, in order to get into the treehouse, there's a ladder that you have to climb on and then you, you, you close the door, but you couldn't really lock the door very well because it's a really small room where you just literally sleep there. For the whole night, I didn't really sleep because I was so scary that the small crocodile would use the ladder to come, climb up to my house. Um, so like I was staring at the door for the whole night and until the lights comes out, I, I went back to, but it was, um, it was a nice experience living in a tree house. I've never tried any tree house afterwards. <laughs> that sounds adventurous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I'd seen something crocodile looking just, just you know, right next yeah. to where I live, I'd run away. 
For sure. And, and afterwards, people told me that's not a crocodile. That's just a Thai animal. But it, it's much, much smaller than crocodile. But it just looks like <laughs> a crocodile from the skin. So I got really scared because of that. Good. But yeah, that was oh. um, that's a story that I, I think that I remember for the whole time. <laughs> wow. I... I mean, when I hear stories like this, I feel like, oh, wow, what an experience. Um, you know, I wish I experienced something like this adventurous. But I know 100%, even one fraction of an experience like this, and I'd be like scared for life. Really? <laughs> yeah, I um, I did quite a lot of like adventurous stuff um, a few years ago. Like this, the, my background, this is a mountain called Rainbow Mountain in um, Peru. So mm-hmm. my boyfriend and I, we went there because I, I think I, I gave myself like a bucket list for t- b- before I was 25. I said, oh, nice. before I was 25, I want to heat all of these things. And one of them is going to Peru, the Rimbo Mountain. We went, but actually I didn't do a lot of research. I didn't really do much research about this mountain. I saw this on Instagram and everybody was taking pictures. I was like, wow, this looks so nice. So we went there, but the, the mountain because the, the altitude is very high. So it's around five. This is, the, the mountain itself is not that high, but because it started very high, it started around like 4,000 meters. And then the, the mountain is only a few hundred meters. But then he has really bad reaction because of the height. And I never went that high. So I never, I, I never knew it's, it's a natural reaction because I thought he was, I had that too. But I thought, oh, I might, I must, you know, didn't slap well, very, very well last night. Maybe, um, I don't know what's going on. But even though it's just walked flatly, you feel so tired and he's even worse. So by the time when he, when he hit um, halfway, he was like, no, I can't move anymore. I'm about to die. And I'm like, oh, don't be silly. This is like, just like normal walking. How can you be that tired? And afterwards, I... It was, he was like, it was the most struggled like journey that he ever did in his whole life. Even though like finally when we went to the top, but then I realized, okay, it's actually, it's actually, you need to take some medicine before you go rather than just go like us. So <laughs> human made adventure. <laughs> That's nice. Uh, even in India, there's this place, uh, there's this place called Lelada, uh, where a lot of people, I mean, it's like one of the places to go because it's really beautiful and like you get that kind of beauty nowhere else. But people don't realize that, you know, because of the altitude and the oxygen concentration, it kind of gets difficult to breathe. And there's like few months where you can go and few months where you can't because of how cold it gets. Mm -hmm. So a lot of research is required and most of people have just that hype of saying, oh, let's go. They don't really research much about it. (laughs) I think yeah I think these are the experiences you have to have and then you become like a more informed traveler because then you're like okay cool now I need to actually research and see uh, the pros and cons etc yeah I definitely definitely I learned my lesson I and we didn't even take vaccination before we went to South um, South America because like (laughs) and afterwards when I came back and um, I went for another trip for my friends to Africa, but she is very cautious. So she dragged me to do like so many vaccination. And I was like, oh, why do we need to do this? And she was like, oh my God, I can't believe you went to South America without any vaccination. I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> a little bit risky now if I look back <laughs> yeah but yeah um that's that's some fun story about me in that's a few years ago though not in the recent quarter haven't done re- haven't done really much in in the in the recently we're just opening um UK is just opening like I think two weeks ago it's we can do normal things outside now finally okay final question How's, you want sorry yeah. go on, go on, go on. you go you go no uh you go first no it's okay I was just wrap up Uh, so final question who who would you like to see featured on this podcast um it would be very you know like i told you i had a blog um which mm-hmm. i did i i really want to dig interesting stories about my friends and like mm-hmm. what they what they did um it would be nice for what well, i don't know whether you already planned out but it would be nice to have a section for um different mba classmates but they're from different countries like telling talking a little bit about their stories in the past like for example like country um habits i feel like that's a really interesting topic to do um some of them it might be a shock some of them will be an interesting fact but the fact that we have so many people from different countries i think that's a worth doing topic Definitely. that sounds uh an interesting that's uh, that's a great yeah topic <laughs> it'd be a fun one yeah for sure. yeah you can keep a theme for example like eating <laughs> like eating habits um sleeping habits like different types like um I, this I, can I, be I, a proper series i'm like yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. how do peruvian people eat <laughs> like what yeah yeah i i i i'm always fascinating about all of that i would be a i would love to listen to all of your podcasts around that <laughs> definitely yeah thanks for the suggestion thank yeah. you <laughs> yeah. cool uh, so i think uh, to wrap up uh, thank you so much like for being here for me this has been an informational better than any um, you know recruiter or any person from any ib would have given me this has also been a very um, enriching general knowledge experience like when you spoke about like uh, globalization and you spoke about the different banks in uh, uk etc i mean <laughs> i haven't even heard these stories before but it was for me it was a very nice um conversation just to listen to as a spectator and um, i'm i'm amazed and impressed at the different places and uh, different countries that you visited and lived in so very excited to meet you and like just hear your stories and share something so Thank you so much for being here. Likewise, likewise. Well, I hope you guys stay safe and then and I hope you can the flights are still going on that you can go to um you can arrive Canada safely. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to stop recording.